Think about a podcast ad about a mattress. No one needs another podcast ad about a mattress, but here's the thing. Your choice of mattress is one of the most important decisions you can make in your life. It's the same thing with infrastructure monitoring. You don't think about it often, but it's one of your most important decisions as an IT professional. So get your monitoring hosted in the cloud with Pessler PRTG Hosted Monitor. Now with 50% off monthly subscriptions for new customers for the first three months. Go to PRTG.com and use the promo code PACKETPUSHERS. That's PRTG.com with the promo code PACKETPUSHERS, all one word. Sponsor Palo Alto Networks invites you to join their upcoming virtual event to learn about the latest in Prisma SASE, Cloud SWG, ZTNA 2.0, and SD-WAN. Sign up at start.paloaltonetworks.com slash sassy-signature-moment-2023.html. Or you can find the link in the show notes for this episode at packetpushers.net. Lots of folks suffer from imposter syndrome. I'm, I'm one of them. It's easy as a deep technologist to feel this way. Tech is, it's complex. It's inscrutable at first glance. How could you possibly know what you're doing? And yet, many of us have found ourselves responsible for this incredibly complex IT system. Fake it till you make it, we think to ourselves. Well, to handle the cognitive dissonance of imposter syndrome, we overcompensate. And in doing so, we pay a very personal price. Our guest today is Matt Vital. Like me and perhaps many of you, Matt has battled imposter syndrome. But unlike most of us, Matt's dug deeply into the topic to figure out how to cope with it, how to overcome imposter syndrome. Matt, welcome to Heavy Networking. It's nice to have you here. Would you uh, tell the nice people out there listening who you are and what you do? Hi, Ethan. Thank you so much for having me. My name is Matt Vitale. I've, uh, I'm a network, uh, senior network automation consultant at network to code uh, I've been here for a couple of years. My background's really in networking for the past like 15, 16 years, something like that. So uh, yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank you. And you were telling me before we started recording here that you actually give this talk about imposter syndrome to new hires. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. So I initially gave a presentation internally uh, and we can totally go into this later on how on overcoming imposter syndrome at network to code after talking with many different new hires coming on board and really uh, feeling that way and relating with it. So I put together a presentation, uh, put it out there. And then our founder, Jason Edelman, you probably know him. Uh, he was like, wow, this is really good. You should go present this somewhere. So I called up Nanog and they let me present uh, just a couple months ago. It was actually really nice. So, Which is where I heard the presentation because I was at Nanog and I was uh, in the room as you were talking about imposter syndrome. And I had a few other people tell me, oh, you should have Matt on to talk about that. So yeah. so if those of you listening, if you've actually heard Matt's presentation, we're going to take it from a different angle today. It's not going to be Matt just giving the same presentation he gives. We're going to talk about imposter syndrome in a more conversational format and let Matt dig into his research and share some anecdotes and and so on. So it'd be a little different format than uh, maybe you've heard from Matt before on this topic. Well, Matt, let's jump into it. Uh, I, we have pretty much all heard of imposter syndrome. It comes up a lot in uh, in tech circles. But could you give us some examples of what imposter syndrome is to clarify what it is for folks? Yeah, you know, it's it's an interesting term, right? Where it's the fear, and I talk about this a lot, it's the fear of being found out of being a failure. So it's not necessarily failing at a project, right? And when I do a project, I know it's going to be hard, it's going to be challenging, especially if it's new. It's the fear that, oh my goodness, people are going to find out that I have no idea what I'm doing. It's not that I'm not sure about this, I'm going to learn, it's it's too much. And it's always that constant dread, right? So a really fun example I like to give, uh, and I talked about this before, so uh, when I first started at Network to Code, I was working for a man named uh, Ken Salenza. 
uh, real big in the network automation community. And uh, he would, he was my boss and he would, would randomly say, Hey, Matt, can we talk real quick on zoom? So I'd be loading up zoom. And as I'm loading it, what I'm thinking to myself is, Oh my gosh, he found out like I'm a noob or I don't know what I'm doing and I'm going to get fired. And then of course we would talk and it'd be something great or something totally casual. And it would not be nothing like that, but then I would get like more work or something or a new project or something. And it's always a matter of, okay, now I have to do this successfully to keep up the impression that I know what I'm doing and I'm good at it. Whereas it's not like the confidence, if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'll throw a similar example out. Uh, I was responsible for standing up some F5s in the Microsoft Exchange days, back in the days where you as a company would host your own Microsoft Exchange. And F5 had put out this uh, very specific uh, front end where you would run your Exchange service through this front end. It was almost like an application that they'd built that was very customized for all the different applications that were running through that Exchange server so that the F5 box would handle them properly. I was scared to death of this thing. It's like, I was the F5 guy. And I'm like, I don't know how this Exchange thing works. Not really. If it breaks, oh my word, I'm going to get, uh, they're, they're going to kill me because uh, it's such an important thing for the company and it's so visible. And if something goes wrong, I'll be found out that I have no idea what's going on because really F5 built it all. And I'm just using this prep guide that they Said about how to deploy this thing. It was, yeah. It, it, at the end of the day, I did know what I was doing and I had the documentation to fall back on and I could call F5 support if I needed to or integrate with Microsoft if there was something going. It was a fully supported solution. And yet I was well, scared. Uh, my to death F5 of this example thing. is Cisco ICE. So I've learned uh, early on or earlier or earlier on, right? You don't tell people, you know, ice, because then all of a sudden you're the ice guy and you got to manage it and you deal with all that. And if that's something you enjoy, that's great. But for me, ice is very complicated. It's pretty hard. So I say, uh, yeah, I know a little bit of ice, but maybe not, not, not as much. Maybe we should give this to someone else. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. Sure. Well, we've given a couple of personal examples about of imposter syndrome, Matt, but, um, do, do you think imposter syndrome applies or, or in what ways do you think it applies uniquely to networkers? So I'll get, how it applies to networking, it's, it's, it's pretty complicated, I would say. Because networking is a very complicated field, right? And I had a previous boss used to explain to me that like he looked at networking as the central nervous system of a company, right? So it's on the back end. You're not really noticed unless something breaks. So a lot of times people don't realize what you're doing until you break something. And I've broken many things. Uh, I think it's just it just happens. Well, but how it really applies to networkers, right? It's like the landscape is constantly evolving. There's new tech coming out. There's new things you have to learn. We're looking more at networking now as where it's no longer just traditional network engineering. It's kind of starting to be expected, you know, some scripting or some coding or some automation. Everything's moving toward that. So if you're not necessarily familiar with that, it could be a little overwhelming or worrying, right? Like, how am I going to keep up with this ever-changing technology? Additionally, what I found with me, I started networking as like tier one, right? Entry level, as I think most of us do. And then as you grow and you get more experience, you get more specialized. So you could focus on specific networking, whether it be ISP or WAN and BGP routing, or you could do internal LAN technologies, or you can do, like I said earlier, ICE and network security. But the more specialized you get, I find personally, I lose more skills in other areas, right? So like, for example, I'm in network automation right now. You know when the last time it was I configured a BGP route or EIGRP route? Like seven years ago, right? Like I don't even know the commands. I'd have to look them up, but mm. I can probably automate that, right? So it's it's specializing in different areas while losing it. So when I get a project that, ha that I need to learn something new, 
especially brand new, right? That I haven't done before. Like let's say a new automation technology or a new tool comes out or a hundredth iteration of an open source tool got forked and created because there's always new ones coming out. It can be very complicated and it's it can be hard to keep up. So that's what I would say for that. Yeah, it, well, th th this gets interesting because the networking technologies that we work with can get incredibly complicated. And so one of the things I've been trying to discern is when is it imposter syndrome? When is it appropriate to be freaking out? So for example, let's say I just inherited this EVPN based data center and I've never worked with EVPN before. Wouldn't it be appropriate to be freaking out, Matt? Yes, it is appropriate, but right, it, it depends, right? It's to an extent, how much are you freaking out, right? So what I would say really like, the difference is in the mindset of it. Are you freaking out because, oh my goodness, I got this new project. It's brand new. I've never done it before. Like the timeline's crazy. I don't have a PM. Oh, and they need it done in two weeks, right? I mean, I've gotten those, but the imposter syndrome part would come in more where you say, oh my gosh, I got this project. I have no idea how I'm going to do this. I'm going to fail. And everyone's going to realize that I'm not good at my job or I'm not capable of my job. And I have to overcompensate for that based on how I tackle this project. And some of the ways we can start overcompensating for that are whether we avoid it by procrastinating and putting it off and putting it off, which I've done. We can overwork ourselves where overworking is good, right? We want to work hard at something. We want to make sure it gets done, but overwork where it crosses into family life or learning other things, um, or even just like anxiety, right? That can become an issue. Uh, perfectionism. I've talked about that before too, where you are so attentive to every little detail on it. And it doesn't matter how good it is. You're so worried about the little minor things that maybe nobody noticed, or that doesn't matter, or a typo that it's irrelevant and you can always fix later. So okay, I think the point you're making there is it's about, okay, new technology, you're responsible for it. There is and a, there is an appropriate level of trepidation of or concern that comes into that. But it is when we overcompensate and do too much uh, because of that imposter syndrome, we feel that we're having a problem. Is that right? So I think it's very normal, right, to get a project and have it be hard and be worried about it and feel uncomfortable. It's a very normal feeling. It's how does that feeling translate into imposter syndrome where you start thinking that I'm not going to be able to do it. Or you start having like negative self-talk, thinking to yourself, negative things, right? That, Hey, this is too hard, or I'm going to fail at it. Or people are going to realize that I'm a failure at what I'm doing. I think that's the border where if I didn't have that and I got a new project, I could see it as a challenge. I could be, hey, this is hard. This is uncomfortable. I'm going to tackle it. I'm going to get it done. Let's figure out a way versus retreating into different levels of either anxiety or worrying about it. And then that has negative outcomes as well. The flip side of this, I guess, would be what I mm -hmm. think of as the opposite of imposter syndrome would be like false bravado, because if I'm overconfident, uh, that's going to get me in trouble uh, also, right? Yeah, absolutely. Right. So if you're over, like <laughs> I've had people come in on the tier one and they come into a new company and they want to start tackling everything and they want to start tackling switching and routing and all sorts of things. And it's great. I love the enthusiasm, but sometimes you have to back off and realize that overconfidence can get you in trouble where you don't want to necessarily rush things out. You want to take your time, have things kind of peer reviewed, stuff like that. Um, and there is a difference too, right? Between you can be too arrogant at something just as much as you can be too humble at something. So I think the imposter syndrome side can really be more 
like I'm too humble. I don't want to acknowledge my successes. Oh no, it wasn't just me. It was someone else or another reason. And we can take that to an extreme, right? We can talk about that for sure. We can also say it was too arrogant, whether, yeah, it was all me. I figured it out and, or, Hey, I know this is going to work. I'm just going to go ahead and push this to production. And I mean, how often does that turn out? Well, right. Like not often. <laughs> it's so funny when you, you, you put it that way, because if you think about what most of us as operators mm -hmm. do, what do we really mean when we say we've uh, we we figured something out? We figured out the commands to type into the device to make it do the thing. Well, who built the device and who put the operating system together and who were the people at the IETF that designed the protocol? Not us. We're just the yeah. ones that are configuring it to do the do whatever it is that it's supposed to be doing. So why should we be all excited because we figured out a command? Yeah, you know and, I mean? and you know where do those commands come from half the time? Google or Stack Overflow, right? I mean, right. <laughs> that's where they come from. <laughs> right. So, and I have to acknowledge that. But I also, as part of my imposter syndrome journey, right, and kind of learning about it and talk with my peers, uh, I used to think, right, and this is so funny, I bring this up because I'm learning things from Google. And I think all of us in IT go to Google for things all the time, right? Or Stack Overflow or whatever you do on the internet to learn and figure out what you're doing at work. And I used to think that because I go to Google, that means I don't know what I'm doing and everyone else kind of knows these commands and they have it figured out. Uh, I, I really kind of learned that not only does everyone do it, Googling is an art too. Like I can reframe that as a skill set. Like my grandparents can Google. They can't figure, figure things out that I can because they don't necessarily know how, like how to find the information or how to phrase it and implement it properly. So again, it's that uncomfortable feeling. And then I realized, oh, I'm not alone. Everybody else does this. It's actually a good thing. You brought up perfectionism mm -hmm. a bit ago, and uh, I, I am definitely guilty of that. I would describe myself as a perfectionist. and But honestly, I would say that hasn't done me wrong in my IT career because in our work, details matter. Uh, so if that perfectionism is motivated by my imposter syndrome, is that a bad thing? That is a really good point. Okay. I used to think the exact same thing too. And I used to think that this is good. Like I want this because it keeps me humble. It makes me work hard, right? It makes me do a good job and it makes sure that I do a good job. But I think, and I, and I only learned this when I started really diving into this and trying to understand it. I read a couple of books on it, right? But what I, I learned is there is a balance as in everything, right? So perfectionism is you keep working at it and you, and you do a really good job and you get everything done and you get all your T's crossed and your I's dotted, but you're so worried about every little minor detail, sometimes the inconsequential details that it stresses you out. And then you're working way more than you need to on something. Um, for example, when I first put this presentation together at network to code, I was just going to present it internally saying, Hey, you know, here's something kind of, I've kind of noticed I've been reading up on, I learned here's ways it may help other people. So I was working on it and working on it and working on it. And I had everything lined up and I had, I was going back through my slides and like lining everything up to the pixel sometimes to the pixel, not kidding. And then I'm working on it the Saturday morning. I'm going to present on a Tuesday and I'm working on this the Saturday morning before I present. And you know where my family is? They're in the other room playing a board game. And I'm going through my book notes and I'm reading. And I read the part where it said basically that, the perfectionism in you is part of like avoidance where you put off family life or your personal life and stuff like that. So that's when I kind of realized that even while I'm learning and presenting about this, like I'm actively participating in this. 
Wait, 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 wait a minute. That last bit you said, perfectionism as an avoidance mechanism. So as in what? Your subconscious wants you to work on this thing so that you don't have to do something else? How did that go? Well, when I, I say that, it's more like I'm avoiding my personal time and what I want to do in my free time because I'm so concerned with failing at what I was doing. That's my perfectionism. So that perfectionism in that example, right? It's overworking in my office while avoiding my my family. And it can be other things where in, in other examples, I've been so concerned about doing a good job and wanting to do something, but not sure how to do it, that I avoid it and I put it off because it's overwhelming and I don't know where to start. And I don't think that I'll be able to you know, necessarily get it done perfectly. That's, that's a big part of it. I think there's a martyr or a hero complex that can factor in there too. I'm reflecting back on a few nights where I've spent at my desk because, because of perfectionism, honestly. I'm working on some bit of documentation or spreadsheet or something that was important to a big change that was coming up on the Saturday morning. So Friday, I end up staying late at work trying to finish all the documents that they're just so. I was laughing when you said uh, making that presentation to the pixel. I'm like, yeah, I've kind of been there. I know what he's talking about. Uh, but working on this, these very minute details, do they matter that much? You're there, it's Friday night, the big change is coming, you're fretting about it, or it's me, I'm fretting about it, and it's, uh, you know, it's six, I should have left an hour ago, now it's seven, it's like, oh, gosh, I'm getting hungry, I should grab something to eat and come back, and I'll just finish this, then I'll go home, you know, I'll get to bed, and nope, doesn't happen, then I'm there a little later, and now it's 11 o'clock at night, and it's like, gosh, I have an hour to get home for this commute, by the time huh, I can just stay here. I got a little more to do anyway. And then it's one in the morning and then I finally crash at my desk. And then at six o'clock in the morning, people wake me up because they're coming in the office. Uh, and did I really need to do all of that? What did I really change? Did I move things ahead where the project would or would not have been successful based on the things I was fussing with in these documents the night before the big change? Not really. You know, what was I doing? I was, I don't know, the way you describe it, I was avoiding other things I could have been doing because I was so fretful uh, so concerned about the success of the, uh, the project coming up in the morning. Uh, I have absolutely done that as well. Uh, I, I honestly, I think all of us have done that at some point in our careers. Right. And I've learned like that motivation that you talk about where you say maybe the perfectionism and the imposter syndrome, it's good. It drives me to do good. But what I really learned is I don't need those, right. I don't necessarily need to stay up till two o'clock in the morning getting my documentation perfect, right? I mean, documentation can be fixed later. It's not necessarily a big deal. What it, what those things give me, they make me more stressed out. They make me more anxious. They affect my personal health, right? Because we may not necessarily realize how like our mind and our body and our physical health are kind of all connected. So if I eat bad or I'm not exercising, like my mental, like I feel sluggish. And then same thing, if I'm all stressed out, I don't necessarily want to exercise. And, and I found that they're kind of intertwined together. So in your example, it looks like your perfectionism drove you to not get proper sleep and to get stressed out and pass out at your desk. So then my follow-up question would be, how did that make you feel like the next day when the project went? And what if there was an issue? Would you have been mentally more awake and alert to address any issues should they have arisen? And what do you remember about that project, right? Do you remember that documentation that you fixed? N not necessarily. You remember 
working on something so much that you passed out and the feelings associated with that, but you have no idea what, well, most likely you don't know exactly what you fix. Right. So it's overall kind of what happened, what did it, what did it do to you at the time? And was it worth it? Let's pause the conversation for a message from sponsor Pessler. If you're a regular podcast listener, you've heard countless mattress ads. Now, Packet Pushers is not the kind of podcast where you'd hear a mattress ad, but maybe this is the closest we'll get. Now, the thing is, the only time you really think about your mattress is when it causes you aches and pains. That's why your choice of mattress is one of the most important decisions you can make. It's the same thing with monitoring. Your monitoring solution shouldn't cause you any aches, and you shouldn't need to think about it. It's one of your most important decisions as an IT professional. Pessler PRTG monitoring software has been on the market for over 20 years and has over 500,000 users worldwide. Pessler PRTG Hosted Monitor is their cloud-based solution, which means Pessler takes care of updates, backups, and maintenance, and you just focus on monitoring. It's vendor agnostic with support for SNMP, WMI, flow protocols, and much more. Setup and configuration is quick. You can be monitoring within minutes without even installing any hardware. You get real-time dashboards and customizable notifications, and pricing is flexible. You have the choice of monthly or annual subscriptions based on the number of devices you need to monitor, so you can scale as needed. And Pessler is giving new customers 50% off their monthly subscription for the first three months. Go to PRTG.com, that's PRTG.com, and use the promo code PACKETPUSHERS, all one word, to take advantage of this offer. And make sure you always sleep soundly on a comfy mattress with a comprehensive monitoring tool. This offer ends October 2023. Now back to the podcast. I genuinely don't remember anything about the documents that I was working on, uh, for sure. I mean, I remember the project, I can't remember what we were doing um, but then the point you make about sleep and the impact that it has on you, well, that's always the problem that uh, network engineers face. A lot of times we have to do changes in the middle of the night. And if we've been low on our sleep before we get to the big change, you know, we're, ex we're in the middle of a complex change that requires our brain's full capacity so that we can troubleshoot and work through whatever issues come up. And, it, and we're not because we've crippled ourselves uh, getting ready to actually do the change and stressed ourselves out enormously. I had a change one night that um, was this, I, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, it was the simplest thing in the world with uh, with the Juniper SRX. I had all this gloriously crafted code for this, this firewall, but I'd forgotten a very simple early step about assigning interfaces to zones because I hadn't assigned any interfaces to zones. The SRX was like, I... I don't have anywhere to pass traffic because you haven't done the fundamental thing you need to do. And I stared at it for two hours in the middle of the night. I'd missed that step in my setup somehow. And uh, why? My brain wasn't functioning. It's the easiest thing in the world to see. And if you're alert and awake and, and, and ready for this, and if you're tired and exhausted and just trying to get through your changes, then, uh, then you're not. And uh, yeah, cheating yourself of sleep is, uh, is, a, is a big problem. Uh, Okay, perfectionism, Matt, I think what's related to that would be um, also self-talk kind of ties into all of this, this kind of personality profile we're describing here. And uh, my self-talk, you know, talking to myself about myself, it tends towards negativity. But I could argue that like perfectionism, I don't necessarily see that as a problem because if I see myself in a negative light, it motivates me to do better, to work harder, overcome those weaknesses that I'm aware of. And I'll tell you, Matt, I have lots of weaknesses. So it's not a, not a bad thing to have some motivation that way. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I know negative self-talk uh, does tie into imposter syndrome. So explain uh, that. Well, I'll give you my own personal example or different examples on it, right? I mean, who doesn't have weaknesses? I could absolutely relate. Now they may be different than yours, but it's it's a little different when it comes to imposter syndrome, right? So 
with the negative thoughts and the negative talk, what I've, it's funny because I can so relate to this and I've done this so much and it's such a hard thing to break out of where I can talk about it, but it still occurs all the time, especially with new projects or a new job, or when I'm at my current job as a consultant, I'm on new projects all the time, sometimes three to four projects a year. Um, But the negative talks, you start believing what you start hearing, right? So you also start believing and feeling what you tell yourself and what you think. So for example, if you think that you're going to fail at something, or let's say I think with imposter syndrome, I think I'm a failure or I'm, I'm not qualified to do my job. That's probably a really good way to put it. So I think I'm not qualified to do my job. Everyone around me is better than me. They all know what they're doing and I don't. But if I think I'm not qualified, eventually I'm going to start believing I'm not qualified, or maybe they kind of happen at the same time. Then you start feeling like you're not qualified and then you maybe start acting like you're not qualified. And those actions may not necessarily be outward. They could be more things we've talked about, avoidance, overworking, perfectionism. They can be other things like isolating yourself for fear of your peers finding out who you are, right? They could be acting like it where you get stressed out or you get burnt out or you you leave a project or you leave a job because that fear is so ingrained or that anxiety kind of kind of crops up so much that it actually causes uh, outward or inward actions to occur. And it all starts with, with what you think. So while I can definitely relate, it's a matter of as easy as I can say it, it is so hard to do when you're so used to it of starting to convert those thoughts from negative to positive and start even saying things that are positive, even if you may not necessarily believe them right away, even if you're saying it and you're like, this is silly, I'm just saying it, you start doing it and over time it becomes more normal. And in my presentation, I gave an example from uh, this book I read, uh, The Imposter Cure by Dr. Jessamy Hibbard. And in the book, there's an example of you're in a courtroom, like you're an imposter, right? So I'm in the courtroom, I'm defending myself and who's prosecuting me? My imposter self. And they have all this evidence and they keep throwing out all these reasons and negative talk and negative ideas and things that I failed out in the past as to why I'm not going to be able to do my job. And one of the things we have to do is start presenting evidence to ourselves to defend against this prosecutor of the imposter. So I am really good at coming up with negative examples of places that that I've made mistakes before or my weaknesses. I have a very hard time with past examples of things that I've done well or current strengths. And I may not necessarily want to talk about them because I can discount them for other reasons. So we kind of have to practice telling ourselves positive things as well as um, maybe keeping track of some of the positive things that we've done, like in our career or even personal life, whatever it may be. So that way, when those thoughts come up of negative, you have something to kind of counterbalance it, right? Well, there's a big lesson in what you said there about how you think or what your self-talk is affects how you really and truly think and what you believe about yourself. So if I keep telling myself negative things about myself, eventually I'll, I will believe them. That will become who I am because I'll have decided to own that, that information. So when I was a kid, there was a book, The Power of Positive Thinking. A lot of people talked about that. I think it's still, you know, people kind of know that as a meme today, sort of. There's also a power of negative thinking. Is Is that fair Uh, to say? you know, I would absolutely agree with that. Probably a good book if you want to write one. So <laughs> it'll sell a lot of copies. <laughs> the power of negative sell a lot thinking. Of copies. <laughs> it would. It's a compelling title right from go. the get go, isn't it? The power of negative <laughs> thinking. I want that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Scott Adams back in the day before he got canceled there and everyone was paying attention to what he had to say, 
he uh, he had the power of uh, affirmations. It was like a it was a comic basically, but I think he took it kind of seriously that if you write the same idea down every day, eventually it'll come true. You know, he gave this as an uh, an example of some of the things that he did, this uh, positive affirmations kind of thing. But uh, but more to our point on imposter syndrome, if we keep telling ourselves we we suck at this or we're not good at this technology or we're not very good when dealing with other people or whatever it is that's you know negative about ourselves and we we decide we own that information that becomes who we are and it doesn't have to be that way and it isn't even true in 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 a lot of cases but we can make it true if we think about it that way um you know and then on the flip side is the positive part and this is going to tie into our next topic here about praise and success but Telling ourselves positive things is also hard for those of us that are predisposed to this way of thinking. But you also mentioned that as an important point. If you have, and maybe there are some legitimate weaknesses that we have and things that are, you know, realistically, there's some negative points there, but you can counterbalance that with the positive side, what it is that is that you're good at and, and, and capable of, you know, and these people hired you for a reason and, uh, and so on. If you can tell yourself those things to counterbalance the negatives that can help too. Um, but, but Matt, uh, going, going to the next point here about praise and success, you mentioned this near the top of sure. the show, uh, we don't handle that well if we suffer from imposter syndrome. And I'm one of those where praise and success, it does make me uncomfortable because I usually feel like maybe success happened in spite of me and not because of me. So praise feels undeserved. They probably don't know about all the stuff that didn't go well. But I guess I think about that as I'm just being a, a realist or realistic. Is that, is that not the case, Matt? Yeah, <laughs> it depends, right? So it, it can be to an extent where we, we were just talking about negative self-talk, right? Well, what does that do? That leads me to discount my successes. So even when I am successful, right? Uh, I may not necessarily acknowledge it. I may not feel it. I may not embrace it. Or if people are saying, hey, congratulations, you did a good job or great job on that project. You know, nice feedback. It went well. Here's let's move on to the next one. The imposter, sy uh, the imposter syndrome part will take that feedback and instead of celebrating it or feeling good about it or even acknowledging it, it becomes a negative where you said praise or success, right? It can make me feel uncomfortable. Well. It can because now people thought I did a good job, but I realized, but I know I didn't actually do a good job. There's so many reasons why it worked out, but it wasn't because I knew what I was doing. It could be like I tricked them. Uh, I, I got lucky. I tell myself that all the time. The reason I'm here today, 16 years <laughs> later in IT is because everything that's got me here has been pure luck. Uh, I, I mean, I had people help me out. Uh, it was a mistake. There are so many reasons we can justify why a success is not valid or earned. And it, the difference is, I think, people that may not necessarily relate to imposter syndrome, which there's a good chunk out there that don't, they can say, hey, I'm uncomfortable taking compliments. Totally normal. I don't know what to say. It makes me feel awkward. Like you ever get an award in front of a company and you don't know what's coming and you have to walk in on the stage or get called out by somebody and you, you're standing in front of everybody, right? Like, no, but it's always uncomfortable for people or for a lot of people. But I think it's when it turns into um, the success makes me uncomfortable because I don't know how to respond versus I'm uncomfortable with the success because I didn't earn it and people don't realize it. And now I have to work harder to convince them the next time because they're already expecting me to do as good, if not a better job on the next project. We pause the podcast briefly for sponsor Palo Alto Networks to invite you to a virtual event. 
The event is titled Prisma Sassy, AI-Powered Innovation Takes Center Stage. And what that title is getting at is this. Palo Alto Networks is continually updating their Prisma Sassy, Cloud Secure Web Gateway, ZTNA 2.0, and SD-WAN product portfolio. And this event catches you up with the latest features that have been baked into the solution set. Another way to think about it is this. You need budget to upgrade the remote access and security infrastructure, right? Well, are you finding your IT spend curtailed because, hey, we might be having a recession? Then, Palo Alto Networks wants the chance to explain how you can reduce your IT spend by consolidating your current SASE solution into their offerings. Well, how does that work? Okay, if you do the consolidation in the one vendor thing, licensing advantages you get working with a single vendor. You get improved interoperability. You get automation of some of the complex tasks that you're probably performing artisanally by hand today. Attending a virtual event like this gives you time to focus and absorb exactly what's going on so that you can clearly present to management why this is a solution that you should be evaluating for the company that you support. To sign up, head over to start.paloaltonetworks.com slash sassy dash signature dash moment dash 2023.html. Or find the link in the show notes for this episode at packetpushers.net. Now, I know that was a long URL here, so let me run through it one more time. That is start.paloaltonetworks.com slash sassy dash signature dash moment dash 2023.html. Or again, go to the show notes for this episode at packetpushers.net and you will find the link there. And now back to today's podcast episode. As good, if not a better job of the next project. Yeah, that that is, especially if you did have a really successful project in the next one, there's no guarantee of success in the future. Not in IT, not, especially if you're not deploying something that's new or not quite as tested as the thing you were doing. Oh boy. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of risk of there. Well, I'm, I, I want to ask a question from the perspective of a manager, sure. Matt. I've managed a bunch of teams and uh, had some interesting personalities that have worked for me over the years. So I, I could argue that as a manager... If I have an individual contributor on my team and they've got imposter syndrome, they kind of seem like a dream employee (laughs) because they work hard. Their work is usually excellent. So don't I want a little imposter syndrome on my team? (laughs) You want the positives, but you don't want the negatives is what you're telling me. You want the positive work ethic and the things that come with people that may feel that way, but you're not acknowledging or you're not wanting maybe the negatives that come with it. So I, it's it's really the same thing we talked about earlier where, hey, don't I want a little imposter syndrome, right? Because it makes me work hard or it can keep me humble or it makes me be attentive to detail in my documentation. But same way with managers and people that they hire on or that they work with underneath them. And honestly, even leading up the chain, so people above them, where you want somebody that works hard, right? You just said, I want them working hard. I want them to do a good job. If they want to work late, more power to them. That's great. But as a manager, you also have to realize that they're working late, sacrificing time from other things, such as their personal health, such as their sleep, such as their eating or exercising, such as their family and their hobbies. And that may not affect it right away, right? Like you may stay up late getting that project done till 2 a.m. or however long you stayed up and then pass out, but you got it done and you did a great job. Everything went well. But you do that once, not such a big deal, right? You do that 10 times, do that 20 times, you do, do that 100 times. And eventually you start feeling like that's normal and then you get burnt out. What happens to employees that get burnt out? They don't usually stay around or they start underperforming or they start taking it out on others or their work may suffer uh, in other ways, may not directly, maybe with their interactions with peers. 
Uh, I don't, I say these all from personal examples because this is the way that I've handled it in the past where I would overwork myself and I would take it out on my peers, whether I'm too stressed out or my project quality would suffer, or I've even left a job because I was afraid that I'm, my successes keep piling up. I don't know how I'm possibly going to continue managing these successes and these projects. I need to leave before they find out. So I would counter that we want a good, hardworking employee, but we don't want an, an imposter syndrome employee, right? We want, and if, if someone's having that and they're working there, like, absolutely, we can, we can work on that and, and help them out for sure. It's not saying, I don't want any of you to suffer from imposter syndrome. We don't want you working here. It's, you got to acknowledge that there's positives and negatives with that. Yeah. And I asked the question as a manager a little bit tongue in cheek because I came through the ranks as an engineer who eventually became a manager. And I understand the challenges of, uh, of burnout, especially. And that is something uh, someone with imposter syndrome will run mm-hmm. into because they'll say yes to every project. Mm-hmm. They'll they're, tend to be people pleasers. They'll want to make things happen and make everybody happy around them. And they will work themselves right down to the nub and, and not even know that they're doing, it. especially if they're if they're younger and don't have a lot of experience in the workforce. They they think working hard is what that's all about. And that's just the way you do it. And that's how you get ahead in life. And they'll grind themselves right down, not realize they're burning themselves out. Unless a manager takes them off to the side, you gotta, you gotta cut back. I, yeah, the project's a big deal and it matters, but you're going too hard at this thing. You got to take some time off, spend some time with the family. Take, take you haven't taken PTO this year and it's October. Take your PTO. I've heard that. <laughs> you know, the, I've, I've heard that. I've heard that too. I've been told those but things. I would also, I would also say it's the overworking part isn't necessary. The overworking part is so true. I see that a lot with like people just getting into IT. I definitely did it. I was so passionate about it. But the imposter part kind of ties in where it's I'm overworking because I'm afraid people are going to see that I can't do the job, you know? So it's, I think it's very normal for people that are passionate about IT, especially when you get into IT, people tend to be very passionate about it, uh, to want to overwork and do a really good job and impress. But what are your reasons? Are you doing it to try to get better? Mm -hmm. Are you doing it to learn? Are you doing it to maybe move up the corporate ladder, which is okay, right? Or are you doing it because you're afraid that, uh, or you're worried or concerned that people around you will realize it was a mistake to have hired you. And you need to work extra hard to prove it this time that you are valued just like everyone else. I will say as a manager, I'd rather deal with someone who's got imposter syndrome and help them work through that than someone who's got that false bravado. They think they know it all, they're arrogant. Uh, It's way easier to deal with someone who thinks a little bit less of themselves than they ought to than someone who thinks more of themselves than they ought to. The false bravado folks are the ones who tend to cause trouble in the team, cause conflicts. There's a lot of ego there. And sometimes they get kind of go cowboy rogue and they're doing things within the infrastructure that they ought not be doing, not following policy because they go, I got this. I know what's going on. I'm awesome. Um, you know, so there's, it's a balance. <laughs> I guess that's a conversation for another yeah, podcast, oh yeah. Matt, but, uh, for but sure. Yeah. yeah. It's all, it's yeah. all a balance. I mean, it's funny. I have a 10 year old son in fourth grade and I am constantly teaching him the word balance, right? I'm telling him, Hey, we can have ice cream, but we can also have our vegetables right now. You don't want too much of one or the other. I mean, maybe I would, as a parent, I would argue, yeah, we want vegetables, but I'm teaching him balance. So we want to eat healthy And then we can also have our dessert, right? So we want to work hard, but we also want to take time for ourselves and not overwork 
or maybe I have to crunch on this project. Maybe I have a change coming up tomorrow. Maybe I'm doing a giant routing migration between core routers, which I've done before. And I've stayed up all night for multiple nights in a row. But then maybe you take some rest afterward, you know, or maybe you find something else to do later. And a good manager will recognize this is a big project. It's crunch time. Let's go. Project's done. It's successful. Go take your wife out on a date. Go take a day off hmm. and spend it with your son at the park. I've given, um, I've had managers give me both of those after projects. And, you know, I remember how I felt because of that, because that manager was good and it really helped me. And I stayed with them longer because of that. Here's a question that I don't think was addressed in the presentation I heard from you, Matt. Maybe it was and I, and I missed it, but it's, it's this. If I have imposter syndrome, does that affect just me? Or does my imposter syndrome affect others that I work with as well? So that's a good question. And I would ask, like, are you asking if my imposter syndrome affects others? Or are you asking if other people are affected by imposter syndrome? No, if me having imposter syndrome, thinking that way, uh, affects other people. Yeah, I did not think it did for a long time. You know, I thought it was kind of invisible and just with me. And as I've learned about it more and more, I realized it absolutely does. For example, we talked about avoidance. Well, one of the traits that uh, of imposter syndrome, right, that you may relate to is shying away from projects or working with other people. So for example, it's okay to be an introvert or it's okay to kind of want to work on a project by yourself. There are some times I really like that and I prefer that. But are you shying away from the projects and working with others? because that's just what you want to do. You want to crunch, or are you afraid they're going to see you for an imposter or they're going to critique your work and realize that they're not critiquing to make the project better. And it's just, you know, constructive criticism. It's, oh my gosh, they're going to see me and I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, other ways it can affect others, right? Uh, putting off working on projects and procrastinating. So that can delay timelines that can cause issues. If you're working on a team project. Uh, I said earlier with my example of uh, my family playing board games, right? Are you putting off time with your friends and family? So maybe my imposter syndrome is affecting people outside of work, right? Maybe my son wants to play a board game and I'm so worried about working on a project that I put in too much time. And then also we talked earlier about burnout or quitting, right? So yeah, it can affect others to the extreme where now all of a sudden you have this really hardworking, enthusiastic employee who does a really good job, but they burn themselves out and then they just leave. Like, where does that leave the team? Like, where does that leave the manager? Where does that leave the company when all that expertise and a good solid contributor who's been there for a while leaves? And now you got to train up somebody new that can delay projects back months. And I've, I've seen that as well. So yeah, it definitely affects others more than I ever realized it did until I kind of took a step back and learned about it and realized, wow, it's not just me. It affects everyone around me. Well, Matt, what, uh, what techniques do you recommend for overcoming imposter syndrome? So, <laughs> you know, I have a list that I've talked about, but I actually have an example from literally last week. So <laughs> I'm working on a new, I'm a consultant. I'm working on a new project and it's, it's big. Whenever you start anything new, right? It's like, oh my gosh, where do I go? It's, it can be overwhelming sometimes. So I'm starting a new project. I had a personal family emergency come up last week, but Anyway, I started getting stressed out about it. So what I did is I took a break on an afternoon. So I forget one day last week, I just took a break and I didn't go take a nap. I didn't go do something not work-related. I found something work-related that I find like kind of zen-like where I could put some nice music on in the background and I can relax and still work on something. 
So I like making presentations internally. I like presenting and I like uh, sharing like slides and talking about it. That's where this whole presentation came from internally uh, talking about what I learned. So I went and I worked on a slide deck for an internal presentation I'm going to do uh, in a couple of months. Just started working on it a little bit, just a couple hours. It was kind of cool, but I got to see something that I did. I got to accomplish something. It was a quick win. And I got to visually see, hey, I got some slides going. They look really cool. Um, other ways, let's say you don't like slides or you don't like talk, presenting, right? Um, and you're purely tech focused. Uh, I found studying for a cert or kind of learning something uh, new that I am working on. So I've worked on projects before where I may not be familiar with AWS or Terraform. So I went and I got a basic cert on AWS and I got a Terraform associate cert and it helped me feel more confident in the project where I ended up not needing them, but it helped me feel a little more confident with working with them and speaking the same language and dealing with the tools that they did. Um, other ways, uh, I joke about this before in my presentation, but documentation. And I say that with all caps and it's such a big thing because nobody likes working on it, right? It's always the last thing to get updated if it gets updated, but everyone appreciates someone who has worked on documentation. Everyone appreciates updated documentation. So my example would be if you're struggling and you're like, Hey, I just need a quick win. Take a break, take a couple hours, Go on, go on, if you have an internal uh, GitHub, like code repository, or if you have tickets, or if you have something, let's say you have switches in your environment and they're not properly documented, or the diagrams are, haven't been updated in two years, which is probably the case, because that's how all my jobs have been, right? Go update them. You'll learn something, right? You'll learn how, I can't document something until I learn how it works at least a little bit. So not only will you learn something, you'll update documentation, it's needed for the job. So it's benefiting the company benefiting yourself and it's benefiting your peers. They'll appreciate it. And it really helps that positive self, uh, the positive reinforcement cycle, as well as the positive self-talk while getting in some quick wins. So in my example, after I did that slideshow, worked on it for a couple hours, I went back. It's a lot more refresh on what I did. Felt a lot better. What I didn't hear you say is just tell yourself how awesome you are. Give yourself <laughs> a pat in the back because you're amazing. And that imposter syndrome will just fade right out. You, you said instead, do something, get a quick win, remind yourself of your, of your capabilities, I guess would be a way to sum that up, that there are things that you can do. And if you do have holes in your knowledge, go get some knowledge. Uh, IT is an endless, endless set of filling in gaps in knowledge, I think, because there's something new that someone came up with, some new open source project that's becoming popular you might need to learn. Uh, some new technique. Network automation for the last five to even 10 years has been a, a whole new field where the whole, as an industry, we've been figuring out how it goes. None of us have a, a perfect example or the, or the perfect uh, formulation of exactly how to do network automation in every situation because they're all unique and different and the tools keep changing year by Amen. year, even month by no month. Kidding. So filling in knowledge gaps is is a way to overcome imposter syndrome. You can spend the time to learn, whether that's through a cert. I've done the same thing with certs over the mm -hmm. years, Matt, and can make you feel better about yourself. And it, it, it feels like giving yourself more confidence is a, is a way to overcome imposter syndrome. Is that fair? Well, for sure. And I know earlier I talked about, uh, you know, changing negative to positive self-talk and what you think you start believing, you start feeling and all that kind of stuff. But also, you have to acknowledge that that takes time and that is it takes takes a while and it can be very hard to do. And 
a lot of times if I'm feeling uncomfortable about something, I take action, even if I'm still uncomfortable on it. And then my comfortableness with something will follow. So in, in my, in my previous example, if I'm uncomfortable at a project, let's say I'm, I'm not going to go do documentation or work on a slideshow. Let's say I have to get this done, but I'm uncomfortable. I want to procrastinate. Well, maybe an action is I'm just going to write down the first step in something I have to do. Okay. Now I got one. Now I'm going to do the second step and you just do it one step at a time. And maybe you don't do that step. Maybe just write the first step and then you write the second step and you do very simple things one at a time. And then eventually that can kind of help out. Um, that can kind of help out. Well, if we're working on overcoming imposter syndrome, would you say the goal is that we want to eliminate imposter syndrome from ourselves entirely? Or is it more like we're trying to find the balance between imposter syndrome and, and the opposite, irrational exuberance? You know, I really can't can't answer that fully, right? I, I don't even know if you can eliminate it because I, I haven't yet. And I've, I'm just in IT. I'm not a psychologist, right? I have no idea. But what I can tell you personally is my personal goal on that topic it's not for it to go away completely, although that'd be wonderful. It's to kind of deal with it as it occurs and as I feel it. So what I was just saying, where I started feeling it, I recognized it. I had the self-awareness that, hey, I'm not an imposter. I'm feeling like an imposter. And there's such a big difference where you feel like something versus you realize you're feeling like something. So it's taking a step back, right? It's detaching from your feelings and acknowledging for what they are. They're feelings, they're not facts, right? So my goal is to get better at being aware of it when it crops up and then take certain actions, whether I pause and work on a slideshow, I work on documentation, I load up uh, maybe Pluralsight and I work on a certification or I watch a video. I mean, I could watch a 15 minute video on Pluralsight or I can watch it on YouTube, right? I mean, both are going to be distracting to me, but I can learn something and improve when I'm learning something more towards my skill set. Um, so that that's really what I would say is at least start there. Now, if it goes away and we talk again five, 10 years down the road, I'm like, yeah, I never feel that again. I'd say that's probably unlikely, but that'd be a nice day. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so. so Matt, back when I was doing certifications, I worked out my way all the way up through the CCIE program. And uh, you know what I felt after I got done with my CCIE and I had those digits, you know, those mm -hmm. coveted, those coveted digits. Uh, I felt imposter syndrome uh -huh. again, because there's people out there who have two CCIEs or three CCIEs or, hey. or more. There's, <laughs> I forget the guy's name, but there was someone out there. He had all of them. If there was a CCIE track, he passed the lab for every single one of them. And so you feel imposter syndrome again, but that's, that, that, made me think of that as an example of you describing, am I actually an imposter or do I just have this as a right. feeling? That was just as a feeling. If you've gotten through a CCIE lab, if it's you know, one track or all eight or however many tracks there are these days, you, you don't have anything you need to prove to anybody, especially. Well, uh, So that, that feeling can, you know, recognizing that it's a feeling versus reality is uh, I think a big point. I absolutely agree. Uh, I would say try being somebody with no CCIE certifications and then working with them where they have two or three, which I do, right? I do. Uh, yeah, it, it is It is definitely intimidating. I can tell you from my personal experience, my so I work at Network to Code today as a network automation consultant. And previously I worked internally working on network automation um, and when I come here, so at my previous job, I was one of the, I was the only guy in my current team and one of the only guys in my immediate organization that worked on network automation. So 
I was seeing like, oh my gosh, look at all these cool things you're doing. You're so smart. You're doing a great job. This is so helpful. Everyone really loved it. Now I come to Network to Code. You know who does network automation here? Everybody. <laughs> and everybody is much better at it than me, or at least when I'm starting out, right? So before I was in my own little bubble working on it. And then now I work with people that do this all the time for all different customers. And they're really good and they refine it. And they're and I'm, I learned so much in the first three months here. It was crazy. So yeah, it's very intimidating coming in, especially in a specialized environment like this, where you go from network automation, it's a new thing, it's up and coming. Some companies may have one or two network automation engineers, maybe more depending on the size. And now your whole company is specialized just like you. Very intimidating, you know? So it's, uh, yeah, it, it, took, it took a bit to kind of overcome and work through, but I see that a lot with new people coming on board here as well, the exact same situation. Well, Matt, if there's people out here listening who they have imposter syndrome, give them some resources to help them overcome their imposter syndrome. Sure. So uh, I gave that presentation at Nanog. Uh, I talked on some of the points I mentioned here today. Uh, there's a couple of books that really helped me out. Uh, when I first started reading about it, I mentioned earlier, The Imposter Cure by Dr. Jessamy Hibbard. That was a good one. I went through that twice, actually. Um, since imposter syndrome is really kind of based on like anxiety and social anxiety, right? I read another book called How to Be Yourself by Ellen Hendrickson. That was a really good one on social anxiety in general. Gave me some tips that I can apply more broadly uh, to my jobs. Um, other resources, not something you can seek out online, but there are so many people that feel this way. And I had no idea until I started talking about it at work where I talked about it and I had, I, and I'm not exaggerating, 10 to 15 direct messages on Slack privately saying, thank you so much. I had no idea anyone else felt this way. So they were so happy that someone else talked about it and they weren't alone, right? So find some other peers or even just a friend and just, you know, talk about it. Hey, you know, I heard about this new thing, imposter syndrome, kind of feels like I'm feeling this way with this project, you know? And even if you don't try to help, just sharing it and getting it out and realizing you're not alone helps so much. Um, otherwise, if you just Google it, imposter syndrome or imposter syndrome in IT, it is a very, very popular topic that I was so surprised how many blogs are out there, uh, different resources, different books, um, different comics and memes. Like people talk about it. There's an XKCD comic on imposter syndrome, right? I mean, granted, they have something for everything, but <laughs> they still have one on imposter syndrome. And I didn't know until I started researching it. So go out there and take a look. You'd be very surprised how common it is and how you're not alone. And me just learning I'm not alone was an amazingly helpful first step in acknowledging it and then working on it and now sharing it with others. Matt, if people want to reach out to you with some comments or follow you or read any of your stuff, could you tell them where they can find you on the internet? Sure. So I mentioned that uh, presentation. I do have a LinkedIn account. Uh, it's matt-v-indy on LinkedIn. Um, I also, I don't have a personal blog, but I do blog on Network to Code's uh, company blog. I even did a blog on imposter syndrome uh, just last year on it. So you can find that as well. And then Network to Code, we have a big Slack community of about 20,000 or so people on there. You can find me on there if you want to reach out directly. Uh, I'd love to talk about this with you. My handle is just Matt V, M-A-T-T-V. Excellent. Thank you very much, Matt, for sharing your research and experience and some of those, those, those got me right in the feels, Matt, uh, <laughs> sharing some of those anecdotes. It was much appreciated. You're very welcome. 
And as you're out there listening all the way to the end, uh, thank you for doing that. We really appreciate it. And remember, as Matt said a minute ago, if you're feeling like an imposter, you are not alone. If you'd like to hear more from Packet Pushers, you could check out our Slack group where there's uh, lots of folks there. Maybe they're suffering from imposter syndrome too. We also have a newsletter, community blog, and a full lineup of podcasts. Uh, you can find all of that at packetpushers.net. Everything there is free for you. Our sponsors are the ones that pay the bills. We don't want anything from you, not, not even your contact information. Last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.